So late last night, uh, early this morning, I drove away from way up north, and the snow was coming down, and I was driving through the forest, and I never drive fast. Well, first of all, because it's slippery. But I never drive fast when I'm leaving up north because I want to savor, I want, to ling- I want it to linger, I want to savor the beauty of the pines and the birches and the up north. And the students that are at Camp Barakel in about an hour are going to be leaving and they're going to be driving back from up north. And we've been praying for them. A good group of them is up at Camp Barakel right now. We've got a chunk of people in Florida and a chunk of people up north. What's up with that? But anyway, they're going to be driving, and hopefully they'll drive away slow because it's slippery. But hopefully they'll also linger up north and enjoy the beauty of it. As I was driving out of the up north last night and lingering and driving slow just to enjoy the beauty of it, I thought of this this passage of Scripture, and you notice we slowed down. Have you noticed that? And we're preaching through 1 Peter, and we slowed down here, and there's a reason. It's like driving out of the mountains of Kentucky. You never want to do that fast. Because it might be a long time before you get back to the mountains of Kentucky. And soon enough, you're going to be out on 75 with all the mass of humanity hurtling north at breakneck speed. And we're in 1 Peter chapter 5, which is kind of a beautiful place to linger. And it says some very beautiful things, as Dan already read to us. I exhort elders among you, a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of his glory that will be revealed to shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. And this is so sweet. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. And likewise, and this is the heart of the text today that we're going to examine, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders and clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, the last week we were talking about not forcing things. Remember that? You heard that talk last week. Not forcing things. We we talked about influence over control. That's what the scriptures were talking about. A, A delightful biography of Eugene Peterson has recently been written by a guy named Wynn Collier. Wynn is a good writer, and Peterson is a great subject. And they tell a story, I, I, I was listening to it again on the way up north, and Peterson told a story about his youth. He was bullied in his youth by a particular boy. He named the name, first and last name of this bully. 
kid was merciless with him, beat him up on the way home from school. Eugene Peterson said he finally tired of it and decided, well, he may kill me, but I'm going to fight back tonight. And he did. And soon he found out that he was actually stronger than the other boy, and he was a straddle of him, punching him in the face. I'll leave the gory details out, but he's punching the boy in the face, and then he said, say, uncle. And the kid submitted to him, and he said, uncle. And then Peterson said, say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> the kid says, no. Peterson said, beat him in the face. Believe. This is a true story. Say you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The kid says, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's not the program. I'm just telling you, that's not the way. <laughs> many, many years later, this is in, in Kalispell, uh, what is that, Wyoming or, it's Wyoming. No. Anyway, that's not right, Montana, in Montana, Kalispell, Montana. Peterson said he went back there a few years before he died, and he preached, and he told that story, named that guy's name. And somebody came up to him afterward and said, I know that guy. He died a couple years ago. A faithful Christian. Now again, that's not the program. You don't beat the perdition out of people. That's not how it works. I mean, you influence people. You don't control them. And so if I'm not going to control things, and if I'm not going to worry about things, well then how am I going to get things done? If I'm not going to manipulate things, if I have to be an example and not domineering using my power or, or my influence or my intellect or, or my leverage, then how am I going to get my way? How am I going to see to it people do what people are supposed to do? And how am I going to keep from worrying all the time about all the stuff that is spiraling out of control? That is what this text is about and the shocking advice it gives, the shocking imperative is clothe yourselves in humility. And if you're honest, you got to think, okay, wait, that's not going to work. If I'm humble with my husband, he will always be telling me what to do. If I'm humble at work, I'm never going to get promoted. If I'm humble in life, Nobody else is going to promote me. I'll be poor and obscure. But then the Bible teaches that pride is a subtle and a dangerous thing. C.S. Lewis, famous Christian author, wrote about pride in his radio lectures on mere Christianity that according to Christian teachers, quoting Lewis, the, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride, unchastity, Anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that, he says, in his inimitable British way, he says they're, flea, they're mere flea bites in comparison. He says unchastity, anger, greed, and drunkenness are mere flea bites in comparison to pride. Of course, you know, an example is if you were drunk today, we would probably notice. But you could be proud and preside in church, actually. It was through pride, C.S. Lewis says, it was through pride the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-state God state of mind. It's the essential vice. It's the utmost evil. 
It's the complete anti-God state of mind is pride. Pride, which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation, every family since the world began. And that's why I've written a very wonderful message today on pride. <laughs> thought I would say that. But pride is something God hates. Hates, that's strong language. Listen, James 4, 6. He gives, he gives more grace. Therefore, he says God resists the proud. He resi God resists the proud. James 5, 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Um, in Psalm 10, 4, it says the wicked is in his proud countenance does not seek God. And God is not in any of his thoughts. That's where Lewis came up with that idea. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. I don't need God. God's not going to tell me what to do. I'll run my life. Thank you. I'm in charge. Here's how God feels about that. Proverbs 16, 16 to 19. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding, is to be chosen over silver. The highway of the upright turns aside from evil. Whoever guards his way preserves his life. But pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's better to be of a lowly spirit with a poor than divide the spoil with the proud. This is just a sampling of scriptures that make the scriptures very, very clear that pride is something God hates and opposes and resists. Proverbs 8 and verse 13, fear of the Lord is to hate evil pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Proverbs 16, 5, everyone who's arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And you could be religious and proud at the same time. But what is humility then? I mean, we've, we've, I've thought about this a lot this week. And we, we tend to think of pride in relationships with people a lot. And, of course, that's true, that pride manifests itself in relations in community. But it has its roots in our attitude toward God. Humility is an awareness of our sinfulness, according to the Bible. Humility is an awareness of our sinfulness and God's holiness. Humility is awareness of our absolute and utter dependence on God and on others. C.J. Mahaney has written a helpful book on humility, and he says, Pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence on Him. Few of us would call ourselves God, but when we reserve the right to make the final decisions and control our lives, then we're really saying to God, I'll let you know when I need you to do something for me. Charles Bridges said, pride is when we contend for supremacy with God. And again, God actively opposes the proud. Again, James 4, 6, he gives, he gives more grace, but he opposes the proud. And then this passage in 1 Peter 5, again, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. The Bible actually says, don't rebuke an elder. Years ago, I was not 30 yet. Maybe I was about 30. When an older man in the church did something really bad, I overheard him doing it. It wasn't good. He was up in probably 
his 70s at the time. He's significantly older than I. What he was doing wasn't right. And I overheard it. And my reaction was to rebuke him. So I rebuked him. I don't do it very often. He needed to be rebuked. So I did it. I put my finger out and said, you are going to answer to God for what you're doing right now, I said. And that was true. And then after that, whenever I would pray, I would remember that incident, and I felt a burden, and the Lord brought to my mind, don't rebuke an elder, but entreat him as a father. And I realized that I had sinned against him, even though he needed to be rebuked, he needed to be rebuked by somebody older than him, not by a 30-year-old. And I just felt powerful conviction that I had rebuked an older man and I should have been humble and entreated him like I would talk to my dad. And I couldn't get it out of my mind. I told Lois about it. She agreed. We went and visited him. And she talked to his wife and I talked to him. And I asked his forgiveness. Didn't, I didn't remind him he needed to be rebuked. I figured the Holy Spirit could take care of that part. I just ask forgiveness for not being, not obeying what the Bible says, don't rebuke an elder. And the benefit of that was then thereafter when I prayed, his face wasn't in my prayers anymore. So that was a good thing. The scriptures are teaching, you know, when you're young, you might think, well, here's the right way to do things. And these older people, they don't know what they're doing. And the the scripture says to young people, hey, especially be respectful to those who are older than you. That's why, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to elders. It's, the, the Bible is an amaze, amazing in its understatement, profound understatement. If a person were just take a phrase like this in their youth and say, I'm going to, I'm going to be characterized by God's grace and with his help, I'm going to be characterized by this. Think of the good that would flow into a young person's life if he or she would just say, I'm going to be subject to those who are older than me. And so this is what the scriptures are teaching. Now, this isn't easy. This is hard. Pride is subtle. Pride is sneaky. Pride is tricky, if, if you will. It's not easy. Even Jesus' disciples all struggled with this. Listen to this incident from Mark 9. You're familiar with this. They kept silent on the way and they argued with one another. His disciples argued with one another who was the greatest. This James and John, this is in, in Mark, it's recorded in Mark chapter 9. And James and John are like, can we sit one on our right, one on the other left when we come into your kingdom? Can I have titles? Can I have honors? Can I have a private parking place? Can I make more money than other people? Can I preside at the meeting? I mean, have you, do any of you have, do any of you ever have a temptation this way? I do. I have all my life. I, I like people to be nice to me and to honor me and to give me privileges and to say, I'm just saying, I'm confessing publicly. It's something I wrestle with. God's taken me to the woodshed on this over and over again. His own disciples were this way. When I was young, a man came to our church. His name was Levi Wisner. And he was a very godly older man. 
And he, I remember his message that he preached that. And, and again, I was in, in probably my late 20s, and he gave a message on a, the difference between a battle soldier and a parade soldier. And he said, a parade soldier wants to be seen. And I'm kind of like, that's me. I'm not shy. I'll, I'll, I'll help. I'll serve. I'll be out front. Oh, I don't mind attention. That's just that's true. He said, but a battle soldier doesn't want to be seen. I'm like, oh, that was just, he preached on pride and I was uh, really convicted. And so after the service, I went up to him and I said to him, that's a problem with me. And I said, um, he goes, well, why, why don't we pray together? I, I, matter of fact, I think I said to him, will you pray with me? And he said, well, I will. And we, we knelt down and um, I prayed and I prayed that God would humble me. Now, that's probably not bad, but I would recommend that you just humble yourself. That's what the Bible says. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He will exalt you in due time. But God, you remember this, Lois? He swiftly answered that prayer. Oh, shortly after I prayed that God would humble me, he humbled me. He's continually done that. He's very faithful. But you, a person could humble themselves. Every Christian, Spurgeon said, has the choice between being humble and being humbled. Someone said this, pride is believing that I have achieved what, what, God, what only God and others could do. Pride is reserving the right to make the final decision. Pride is building my life around myself and my own wants. If you want a more complete description, you can just read through the Proverbs and see all the things that the Proverbs says about a proud person and examine your own heart. Proverbs 22, 4 says, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. So, I mean, if, you know, it's obvious what I'm saying here. If God, if God opposes the proud, if he actively resists the proud, if, if pride is an abomination to God and God favors the humble and gifts the humble and graces the humble, this, is, this would be something every Christian would want to develop. And, and, and to see the deceptiveness of it, like all sin, I found pride to be especially deceptive. When you see the value of humility and the danger of pride is tempting to make sure that you appear to be humble and never appear to be arrogant. I mean, after all, especially in a religious setting, among religious people, you'd want to appear, you wouldn't want to appear proud. You would want to appear humble. You would want to have a reputation for being humble. See how subtle it is? You can think that you're not proud because you've masked your arrogance. That just means that you have a social skill. It doesn't mean that you still don't want to run your life. In other words, all arrogant people are proud, but not all proud people are arrogant. Not all proud people appear to be proud because they might be trying to mask their pride, and they might be good at it. They might like, kind of have a humble appearance. And you have to ask yourself, is that, off? Is that, is that me sometimes? Or you can be you know, proud of your humility, like the time that 
I took down the sign that said pastor's parking. And every time I passed the place where the sign used to be, I was proud that I wasn't the kind of guy that had designated pastor's parking. And I thought, okay, it wasn't supposed to work like that. But it really did. That was really true. You can denigrate your worth and dignity and your humanity, and that's a false humility. I I was with a young man last night, an African-American young man, sharp guy. And I said, and he's, he's a preacher. Sometimes he preaches. And I said to him, could I see your preaching online somewhere? And he goes, oh, I try to take it down as fast as I can. He said that we were, well, I had been thinking about this humility pride thing. And he was young and he was really open. And we were having really kind of open-ended, unguarded discussion. And I suggested to him, I said, well, you know, a person could be proud by putting their stuff online and going, look at me, look at me, look at me. And that could be an exhibition of pride. Or a person could be proud by saying, until I get it perfect, you can't see what I do online. I keep taking it down. That could be pride too. And he goes, I hadn't thought about that. Pride is subtle like that. You know, you might display what you do because of pride, or you might not display what you do because of pride. And so it would be a good idea for us to figure out how to overcome pride. And, and I want to share some ideas about powerful ways to overcome pride according to the Bible, which we're in the process of doing. And so I get I have them numbered. Number one, realize the desire and power to do the will of God comes from God. Maybe that's one way. You know, grace, we're saved by grace, which is a gift from God. Our salvation is a gift. Our sanctification involves God's grace. He has to gift us the power and the desire to grow in the Lord. Our salvation is from grace. Our sanctification is by God's grace as well. All good gifts are by God's grace. So we first realize that the desire and the power to do the will of God is a gift from God. Listen to Philippians 2, 13. You're familiar with this. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So how many of you would like to have the desire to do God's will? But sometimes you don't. And how many of you would like to have the power to do God's will, but sometimes you don't? The, the Bible says these are gifts from God. These are, these are the result of God gifting us or gracing us. So you would then want to ask the question, where do I get grace? How do I get grace? How do I get more grace? Since the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes, is, is from above and it comes down from the Father of lights whom there's no variation or shadow of change. How do I get these good gifts from God? Could I have good gifts from God flowing into my life? And, and according to the Bible, yes, if you had God's grace flowing into your life all the time, God's gifts flowing into your life all the time, desire to do God's will flowing into your life all the time, power to do God's will flowing into your life all the time. The stuff you do, you wish you didn't do, and you'd like to stop doing. How would you like to have the desire and power to do those things? That would be a gift from God, God's grace. How would you get that? Well, you understand that God gives his gifts to those who humble himself. That's number two. So number one, realize desire and power to do God's will comes from God. It's a gift, grace. Second, understand God gives his gifts desire and power to those who humble themselves. And over and over the Bible says this, Proverbs 3.34 is being quoted here in 1 Peter, toward the scorner, he's scornful to the humble. He gives favor. James 4.6 says it again. He gives more grace. He, God opposes the proud, but he gives his gifts, his grace, 
this dynamic power to desire and do God's will, he gives it to who? To who? Say it. To the humble. So I want uh, God's gifts, then I want to humble myself. Third, and again, the passage today, likewise, younger subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. The whole church should clothe itself with humility toward one another. Put on the servant garment. Serve one another. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. He'll exalt you when the time is right. Don't worry. Humble yourself. So the first thing, then, I'm, I'm giving you four things here. One, realize the desire and power to do God's will is a gift from God. These notes are online if they're useful to you. Two, understand God gives his gifts, grace, desire, and power to do his will to those who humble themselves. So, here's what a great Christian leader told me one time. He said to me, if you want God's grace so that you desire to do God's will and you have the power to do God's will, you should look for new ways to humble yourself every day. And that really kind of changes your life when you think like that. New ways to humble yourself every day, and then they will come to you. And then when they come to you, you say, okay, this is an opportunity for God's grace to flow into my life. Continually look for ways to humble yourself. So if you put these truths together, you have this. If you humble yourself continually, you'll have a continual stream of God's gifts, His grace flowing into your life, desire to do God's will, power to do God's will. If you humble yourself, you'll have the desire and power to do the will of God. This is powerful thought. But if you don't humble yourself, the Bible says God will resist you. This you do not want. So a wise Christian will look for new ways to humble himself every day. See Jim Hanney's book. It's real simple. It's, it's worthwhile. You might want to get a hold of it. Um, I put an outline of the book in the notes today. Let me just read the outline to you really fast of his book. He's suggesting ways to humble yourself. He says, always reflect on the wonder of the cross. That would be a way to humble yourself. Reflect on the wonder of the cross, always. He said, as each new day begins, begin each day acknowledging your dependence on God and your need for God. Begin each day expressing your gratefulness to God. Humble yourself by practicing spiritual discipline, prayer, the study of God's word, worship. Do this consistently each day. At the outset of the day, if possible, a way to humble yourself. Seize your commute, he says, to memorize and meditate scripture. Um, he lives in the Washington, D.C. area, so he has a long commute. He said, cast your cares, your worries on him because he cares for you. Of course, this comes right out of this passage. A way of humbling yourself would be just telling God your burdens and your anxieties like Melanie was saying today. And then he says, as each day ends, at the end of the day, transfer all glory to God. Before going to sleep, receive the gift of sleep from God and acknowledge his purpose for sleep. For lo, he gives his beloved sleep. Thank God for sleep as you go to sleep. And then he says, as a special focus, he says, study the attributes of God. Study the doctrines of grace, he said. This is the doctrines of the Bible about salvation. Study the doctrine of sin to humble yourself. He says, then he said, number four, play golf as much as possible. I'm like, that would work for me. That immediately humbles me. One great shot, five slices. Um, and then he said, laugh often and laugh at yourself often. And then he said, through your days and weeks, identify evidences of God's grace in others, encourage and serve others, invite and pursue correction, respond humbly. 
I was thinking about this, so this weekend, it was people a lot, and I'll be honest with you, I want to talk about myself. I want to tell people about me. I want to tell them my stories, what I'm doing, what I'm thinking. And the Lord really convicts me about this. And I'm with other people, I'm like, over and over again this weekend, I just stopped and thought, and I'm like, what about you? You know, what about you? And people, you know, if you're the speaker guy, they're going, so, you know, they ask you questions and you want to go blah, blah, blah. And just, I go off and, and I, I caught myself going, okay, yeah, but enough about that. Tell me about, tell me about you. It's amazing how often, this to confess uh, publicly, I have to admit, I want to talk about myself and remind myself, it's amazing then when you do talk about other people, how they love to share their stories and their stuff. And I was at a conference years ago, and, and a lady, I'm signing up for the conference, and a lady goes, oh my goodness, you're Ken Pierpont, she says. Oh, she says, I read your things. I, I've watched your messages. And it's, it was a little circle, but it was a circle. And so I was like, oh, that's kind of nice. You know, I'm like, do you want my autograph? Uh, yeah, that's like kind of how I felt. And I, oh, because I am proud and, and hungry for that, you know, affirmation. I'm like, oh, I, it was, I thought it was kind of cool, the lady. And she goes, I, I follow your wife. And she's a photographer and blah, blah. She said a few things. And I'm like, I was kind of like, tell me more. This is fun. And is, are you uncomfortable with me confessing my sin publicly like this? I know it's kind of hard. I'm like, tell me, tell me more. And my heart was like, oh, oh, this is the coolest thing. Tell me more. You, you know, and, and my son Kyle came to the same conference a little bit later and he saw a blind spot in me that I didn't see. Um, he was humble and sweet about it. I didn't say it, but a little bit later on, I said, oh, to the lady, I, we're at another place in the conference. I go, oh, I want you to meet my son. You know, she was interested in our family and my wife. And I go, this is my son, Kyle. And oh, she says, hi. And then she says to him, like, I read your dad's things and I watch his messages and I follow your mom's photography. And, and then he interrupts her. And I was, and my feeling in my heart right then was like, don't interrupt her. She's talking about us. <laughs> You're laughing. But I honestly, that, that was how I felt. Are you, are you, am I embarrassing my family? Honestly, this is how I felt. I'm like, don't interrupt her. She's talking about us. And then Kyle says to her, when she says about the photography, what kind of photography does your husband do? And I was thinking, stop interrupting her. She's talking about us. And then it just hit me like, oh, my word. I was so uh, humbled. I'm embarrassed Leo because I do that every week. We were at a conference together. And I'll tell this one, and then I'll get off this subject because I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I'm trying to help here. We were at a conference together, just having a wonderful time, beautiful conference. And there were round tables. And, and we would talk. You know, the guys were there, just like my, brother, my brothers were there. Pastor Leo was there. I was there. Friends of mine be around the table. And we would just, like, it was just a lively, and I just love that lively conversation. And a lot of times, you know, we would just be talking and telling stories and laughing and talking theology. And, and then I reflected on the week. I don't think Pastor Leo ever told you this, but I reflected on the week. And the Lord humbled me a little bit. And I thought, when we were around those round tables, I would kind of preside. I would, like, tell stories for everybody. And, and everyone would be laughing, and I would be, and then I would tell more. And then I remembered Pastor Leo talking with the guy next to him. Just having a nice conversation with the guy 
next to him. And I think it's not wrong to tell the whole story at table, but I did have a little bit of a sense of conviction about, did you listen to the other guys or did you just have an audience, you know? Not, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but maybe you have corresponding stuff in your life, irritations or things that come in or subtleties. This pride thing, I think what we have to do is we have to just acknowledge it and say, you know, I really do want to run my world and I want the world to revolve around me. And I confess it, God, and you're God and people are important and I need to love them and not just have them love me. And, and I think that's why the Bible says here, if we clothe ourselves with humility with one another, and then the things that we worry about, like maybe I want love or I want attention, I could just cast that anxiety on the Lord. Or maybe there's something else, like for you, it's different for you. And so, if you humble yourself and you trust God, this is verse 7, you can trust Him to take care of you whatever needs that you have. Because pride and humility are rooted in our view of ourselves and God, but they have a powerful effect on relationships with each other. And it's often in our relationships with one another, as Peter is saying, that our pride and humility is tested and exposed. So you might wonder what happened to those ambitious young men that came to Jesus and said, hey, can I have everybody else sit down and listen to me for a while? Can I have a title? Can I have a parking place? Can I be the big deal, well-known can I sit on your right hand and my brother on your left hand? This is, what happened to those ambitious young men? Well, I'm happy to tell you they didn't get sent to hell. They didn't. They didn't get kicked off the team. I'm so glad. You know, James, John, Ken, ambitious young men. They didn't get kicked off the team. They did get taken through a crucible of suffering. James was killed by the sword. He was an early martyr. His brother also suffered great suffering and exile to Patmos. And God did use them, and he used them wonderfully. But they had, people frivolously sometimes use this phrase. I hate it when people do this. You ever have people do this? We're going to have a come to Jesus moment, they'll say. It kind of it irks me when people say, I'm like, don't say that. Don't say we're going to have a come to Jesus moment. That's pretty serious. You're talking about Jesus here. Me coming and talking to you about something is not a come to Jesus moment. That's a come to Ken. That's a whole different thing altogether. But in Mark chapter 9, there was a come to Jesus moment right then. When they said, this is what we want to do. Can we be one on your right hand and one on your left hand? And Jesus says, come here, I want to talk to you. And he set them all down because all the other disciples were irritated with them, which shows that all of them had a problem with pride. All of them did. And they do have a come to Jesus moment. And Mark 9, 33 to 35, they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, they asked him, what are you discussing in the way? And they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he said, sit down. And he called the 12. That was the come to Jesus. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and the servant of all. And these men... Maybe it's safe to say this. By the time these men were honored and notorious, and they were, it would mean much more to them that Jesus would be honored and notorious. That's really what it's about. It's not so important if, you, if, 
if we know you, it's important that we know Jesus. If you know me, it's possible to grow in, in grace, in humility, and have a steady stream of grace, God's good gifts and desire and power to do God's will flowing into your life every day. It's possible to learn to humble yourself. It's possible even for people who love, who struggle with pride, which maybe we all do. It's possible, it's possible for us to, to grow in humility and to learn to cast the, all of our anxieties on him and remember that he really does care for us.